few weeks ago now, we started this series called Gospel Community. And if you are visiting or have missed a little bit, I want to just kind of bring everybody up to speed so that we're all kind of on the same page of where we are at. Um, Really, this series' goal is to help us as a local church family better understand what it means to be the people of God gathered together for His purposes. And if we can better understand that, my conviction is we, if we better understand what it means to be God's people gathered together for His purposes, we would then strive to live and act as a biblical gospel community. And so we've kind of looked at different topics through this and different focuses. We looked at uh, just the areas of discipleship. We looked at uh, gospel teaching and prayer. Last week we talked extensively about hospitality. And these are all things I think are real-life elements of what it means to be a gospel community. Today we're going to look at the area of just gathering together, why it's a good thing and actually why it's a biblical thing. And next week, just what it means to live then in light of the gospel. And again, this is, is not an exhaustive list. It can't cover all the things, I think, that go into that. But a big picture. What are we talking about when we talk about what it means to be a gospel community? Right, I think we use the word church in all different ways, and we use that in our vernacular in different ways. We say church, you might mean uh, a building, you might mean a people, you might mean a Sunday morning gathering. Right? What I may, mean by gospel community is that like-minded people united around the hope that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Okay, that's what I mean. Really, and more like local context. I am describing the local church. I'm just reluctant to use the word church because I think it gets convoluted by people. So when I describe gospel community, I really do mean local people gathering together, united around the hope of the gospel. Okay, just so we're all on the same page together. And I think as we keep talking these topics out, right, we'll discover and better understand, hopefully, that like, okay, if discipleship is part of what it means to be gospel community, then if we never talk about Christ with each other, if we never press into conversations about Christ and what he's teaching you and what he's teaching me, then guess what? We're, we're not actually being a gospel community because discipleship doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Like, so if discipleship has to exist to be gospel community, right, as an element of gospel community, if we don't have discipleship, guess what? We're not actually fulfilling what it means to be gospel community. Does that make sense? So if prayer is part of gospel community, if we are not people who pray, we're not actually functioning as a biblical gospel community, right? There are some core elements here that have to be there. With that thought in mind, if you have a Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 27. If you spent time around us at all earlier this year, we went through the book of Hebrews together. This should be a little bit familiar to you, but it may be you're just as thick-headed as I am and you forget things as well. In that case, let me remind you this morning of Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 27. This is God's word. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider 
how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's pray. God, as we just spend a few moments this morning looking into your word, uh, I ask that you would just uh, allow it to be clear what your scripture says. Uh, and if my words are not helpful in that, may just the truth of your word and your text here resonate deep within us. But Father, ultimately would accomplish what is best for us and most importantly for your glory this morning. In your name, amen. Let me ask you this question. Do you do anything out of routine or just tradition, right? If so, what are they? What are some things that you do in your life or your family's life just out of routine or tradition? This is where you can answer back. It's a safe place-ish, safe-ish place. I'm sure I won't mock you too bad. Thanksgiving, okay? Specifically what? What do you mean by that? Okay, so you go to your, your dad's Family, okay? Okay, anyone else? Life, family, traditions, routines. Every week a Sunday dinner, okay? What else? Congratulations, great. You shower every morning. That's, a, <laughs> that's true. All right. Look, routines and traditions are not necessarily bad, okay? Um, right, but what would your reaction be if those things didn't happen? Right? Christina may not be happy if Rob opted out of showers. <laughs> All right? Right? We, we have routines and we have traditions. We, we have rhythm, maybe it's a better word, that we just kind of settle into. Right? For many of us, things in life are simply done out of routine or just a formulated habit. And they're not necessarily wrong, but we may actually have no good rationale behind these things or justification to why we do some of these things. Like, for example, if you take a certain way to work every single day, because at some point you decided it was the fastest or most convenient route, and you, you settled in that way for the last 20 years, it could be that in 20 years' time, a faster way or a more convenient way has risen up. But you're not thinking about that anymore. Your rationale no longer matters because, what, you've just become a creature of habit, You've settled in to your routine, right? Or perhaps you have like this just the same morning routine. You get up and you have the same kind of things that set you out for your day of trajectory. And at this point, you don't even think about them, right? Maybe at one point there was a rationale, but it could just be, it just honestly helps you start your day better. And when the day doesn't start out kind of how you envision it starting out or how you planned or hoped it would start out, it just kind of train wrecks for you. We're often, we, I think we're often governed by the ideas of, it's just what I do. Right? It's just what I do. Well, well, why do you do it? Well, it's just what I do. I just happen to go that way. I just drive that way. Right? But if we're often pressed, I wonder if we don't consider our lives, if we don't think about our actions, we don't consider the fact that our decisions that we make, small and large, have a pretty big ripple effect, not only to your day, but to your life and then to the lives around you. If we, we, I find it interesting, right? We find great hope in saying that, that God is in charge of things. And I find that very interesting to have a conversation with people because we actually like God to be in charge of certain things, by the way, not everything. 
but we take great hope that he is in charge of everything because we don't understand how revelation actually works. And if he's in charge of it all, that means that God is sovereign, which Scripture defines and sets out for us. Then that means God's involved in the details, too. Where we are in our current parenting life, I mean, that's a phrase we're saying a lot lately. Care about the details. It means like you don't just get your homework done. We have to actually have it be legible. Care about the details. Care about when you put things away, they go back in the right place. Right? And that's all of us. Care about the details because, because things matter. And they matter to God. Right? Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Right? It's wisdom here. Think about your next step. Literally, think about the next step you're to take in your life. Consider it. And I like that word, ponder it. Think about it. Wrestle with it. And, and it, does, you know, it has like a, a taste of kind of a health and wealth gospel. I don't think it, it actually is conveying here. Right? But, but then all your ways will be sure. I mean, if you think about the next step you're going to take, and, and your, your heart's united around who Christ is, then, then your way will be sure. It will be established. It will be firm. It's implying that our next steps are to be intentional. And the big picture here is that, listen, God wants us to be intentional with our lives. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you don't time out of being useful to the Lord and to his work, right? So as you age, and some of you are more vintage than others, all right, there's no expiration day. You don't time out and be useful to God's kingdom. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we're useful to the Lord and to his work. So how does this all connect with our, with our area today? Just gathering together. So I believe that God wants us to gather together, right? And I believe it's an intentional step that he wants his followers to do. This is good for us this morning, to be together as God's people. But I wonder if pressed and asked, why are you doing that? Why are you getting up on a Sunday morning when you could stay in your pajamas a little longer? Drink one more cup of coffee at home. Why are you opting to get up? My fear is that our response might just be, well, it's just what I do. It's just routine. It's just rhythm. Rather than, well, it's important. Rather than perhaps even the evil say, well, here's what God's word kind of instructs us in. And this is why I think it's good for us to do. That's my concern for us. So what do I mean by gathering together? Like I think gathering together is a biblical thing. It's a good thing, and God calls us people to do it. But what do I mean by that? Well, rather than my definition, I really believe that Hebrews 10 is helpful for this. Right? Because in our mind, if I were to lay out you a definition of what it means to gather together, you and I often just grab onto rigid things because we like law. You like law, whether you admit it or not. What I mean by that, you like knowing what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. As much as you don't want to stay in bounds, you like at least knowing where the boundary line is. And that's me. And why do I like that? Because I like to know when I'm, when I'm going too far. And I also like black and white. I like to know if I'm in step with what God wants me to do or not. I like that just straight clarity. But I want Scripture to guide our thoughts this morning, not my definition of what it means to gather together or why it's important. And Hebrews 10 is helpful in this. 
just kind of big picture right before this passage, kind of preceding verses 1 through 18 of Hebrews chapter 10. Right? The writer just gets done talking about that as followers of Jesus, we can have full assurance that Jesus' sacrificial death was sufficient. So he's operating out of that foundation, okay, as he goes on here. Meaning the truth of the gospel and the perfection of Christ and his life, death, and resurrection is fully sufficient to cover our sin, past, present, and future. Right? Because let's just remind ourselves, Jesus did not have to die because he sinned. Jesus didn't die because he went outside the law. He, he went to the cross because we do. We go outside the law. We walk over the boundary lines on purpose at times. And the writer says, look, because our assurance is firm and secure, because that is true, he goes on, right? And he says, we can have confidence to follow the Messiah even into the heavenly holy places, right? That, that's what verse 19 talks about. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, not by your own good looks or your own actions, but by what? By the blood of Jesus, Look, look, we can be so confident in Christ that one day we'll enter into glory. Why does he say that? Look, because of everything laid out in the first 18 verses. Because his life and death and the resurrection is fully sufficient. And he says, look, in light of that truth, in light of one day, if you are in Christ, you're found in him, one day you will walk in glory because of Jesus, because of that truth, then live in light of that. And he goes on, he says, let us draw near verse, to Christ, in verse 22. In verse 23, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. What is that? Well, ultimately, it, it goes on to be the church's teaching concerning Christ and his work in the scriptures. And then he comes to verses 24 and 25. And he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me just first pull your, your eyes to this. Throughout this passage, you heard a phrase repeated, whether you notice it or not. And the phrase was this, let us. Let us. So what is that telling us? What's that implying to us? That this let us is, is a grouping phrase, right? It's us collectively. It's us together. Let us together draw near. Let us together hold fast to confession. Let us together consider how to stir up one another. See, the author here is trying to say that we are supposed to be doing life together, especially when we're found in Christ. That we're to draw near to Christ together. That we're to hold fast to our confession of hope together. And that we're to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works together. That these things are to be done in the context of community. Now, if you're here last week, maybe you remember, but in case you don't, and those who are, were not here last week, let me just catch you up. Right, last week, we talked about this. The idea of community is unique. Community is, is unique and it's very significant. Right? A, a group of people can exist for quite some time in the same proximity as each other and never be community. That just happens to be proximity. Right? But community, I think it takes a shared experience. It takes a common bond. Right? It takes an accepted ideal 
that that's what links people together. And I think those are some of the bedrock pieces that, that begin to foster community. And, and how does that happen? Well, it happens over time. And, and it happens through intentional time together. You see, community can run deep within a people, but only if the people see it as important and worth investing their time in. Again, you can go to, I'm guessing if you work somewhere, you probably don't say to people, hey, what are you doing tomorrow at 9 o'clock? I've got to go hang out in my community. No, you you probably say I have to go to work. And if you're honest, you probably wouldn't choose to have everybody around you that's around you at work. There are probably just some people that just kind of rub you wrong and and just you, you have different ideals or just, I don't know. Maybe you're the jerk and they're actually nice, but, right? But, but you, you probably would not use your work people to define as community. Right? I, I think community has deeper roots than just that. Then you happen to punch the clock in and out at the same time. Community has, has shared ideals, experience. Right? There's a common bond, but it takes intentional time. And so when we see the writer here of Hebrews calls for his audience to stir up one another to love and good works, right, he's implying or assuming that there's relationship here, that, that there is community here that exists to press people towards love and good works. You're not going to encourage your coworker who you barely know to be more loving to their spouse, because of the conversation you overheard of them on the phone together. You're not going to do that. Why not? Because it's awkward. Because your opinion is not invited in in that moment. Like if you want to tell me of a phone conversation that I need to have better with my wife, and I don't know you well, I'm probably not going to externally respond in a, in a good manner. I might say some moderately nice things. But my facial expression will not be that pleasant. Well, why? Because you're speaking into something that, frankly, you don't have any context to speak into. Right? Community doesn't allow that to happen, though. When the writer writes here, man, he says, look, stir up one another to love and good works. And he writes that because he's assuming that those who are connected together in a local context around the identity of Jesus Christ can speak into each other's lives because there's relationship there. Time spent together and life together taking place. But the people of God are gathering together. They're coming together intentionally and, yes, routinely. See, throughout the scriptures, God's people are given labels. Listen, I'm curious. I want you to interact here. God's people are given labels in scripture. They're identified as a certain type of thing. What, what are some of those? Do you have any guesses at this? They are his what? Okay, disciples, okay. His followers, okay. His kingdom, okay. His children. His sheep. Okay. The body. Okay. The flock. A holy people. A nation. Nowhere in Scripture do you and I ever read that God's people, you're a lone wolf. You're, you're, you're a lone wolf. You just do you. 
Just, just, just go and do you and you'll be fine. That's never, ever described in Scripture. In fact, just, just walk with, contextually with me, right? Go to Genesis. There's Adam and God. Perfect unison. And sin does not exist yet. And what does he say? It's not good for Adam to be alone. Like, we're, we're meant for relationship. And, it, and God defines his people in communal relationship. Flock, body, nation, people. We're never called to be lone wolves. See, God had never intended for his people to be alone. And he exemplifies this through his own trinity existence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He exists in relationship. It's relationship on display for us. But I think so many times, the followers of Jesus, right, we just kind of reserve. We, we, we pull back. I, I've heard it. Right? It, it's, it's my personal faith. My, my, my faith is very personal to me. It's one that's just my own. I don't disagree with that. Right? It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you have that. But nowhere can you substitute the word private for personal. Like you can't say it's, it's my private faith. Like that's not in the Bible. <laughs> like you can say that, but you're wrong. Right? It's a personal, meaning it's authentic, it's, it's, it's real, it's your faith that's trust in Christ. But it's never once ever described for the follower of Jesus to call it a private faith. That doesn't tell anybody, that, that keeps it to themselves, it's reserved just for them. See, we're not intended to live a life for Christ by ourselves, we're, we're intended for community. And it's for this reason the writer of Hebrews gives caution when he says, right, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's caution here. Don't neglect to meet together. Right? There's direct encouragement here that, that God's people would remain in relationship with him and then with each other. And that's why community is important. That's the community that's different. This is not an HOA, okay? It's not your homeowners association. You're not paying your dues. No, you're seeing it as gospel community. One where each other wants the other person to actually grow in their knowledge and understanding and likeness of Christ, right? In, in gospel community, individuals want to know how the gospel applies into a situation, into work, into family, into their own personal life, and their struggles, it wants to help each other say yes to Jesus and no to sin, right? It's so important for us. But it's not your homeowner's association. Right? This, right? if I were to ask you, go back now, the first question I asked was something you do out of routine, tradition, right? You probably should have said, a lot of you anyway, Sunday morning church. It's just what we do. And that's not bad. Again, routines are not bad. Some routines are very healthy, right? Eating well, exercise, going to bed at a decent time because you have to get up at a decent time, right? That's a healthy routine. And being here, gathering together with God's people is a healthy routine. But there's danger here if we begin to just view it as a monotonous, mindless existence and rhythm to our lives, 
It's important for God's people to be together, to gather together. And someone might ask, well, look, why not? Why not just take a break, though? Why not just go it on my own? But what does the writer of Hebrews say here? Right? That we are to encourage one another in what? Right? We are to encourage one another, to stir each other up, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what does that mean? You might not think about it, but every minute that goes by is one minute closer to Christ's return. You may not think about that every day. I don't. Right? But that's what he means here. As that day gets closer, which is every day is one day closer to Christ's return, as that day is drawing near, encourage one another to hold fast to the confession of hope that you have. Encourage one another all the more. That happens in community. That happens when people gather together. But there's, there's a positive thing that goes on, right? We're encouraged. We're pressing each other towards Christ and our faith. We, we're growing in relationships. And if we choose not to do that, there's a warning that's given here. The warning's very clear for us. And that's why we went, we went on this morning to verses 26 and 27. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What does that mean? That, look, there's potential for people to walk away, to deliberately choose sin over righteousness, to choose sin over pursuing Christ, to choose sin over the life that God calls us to. And that's fascinating to me that he says it just after he says, don't neglect to meet together, to gather together, to stir up one another. So we can, we can infer here that the writer is making a correlation. Look, if you try to do this thing on your own, you're setting yourself up potentially for failure. As followers of Jesus, we must put ourselves in a place where our mind and our heart are healthy. But so often we choose what's not healthy for us. We choose what leads us towards sin because we choose to endure things on our own. We willingly choose to fight sin by ourselves. And guess what the result often is? We struggle. See, the call of Hebrews 10.25 is a call to gather together, to be in community, that we might press into each other's lives as we each press towards Jesus. So if that's what it means, I'm actually going to give you something I don't often give you. I don't like direct application. I don't, because I don't want to tell you how a certain truth directly applies to your life. Let, Let the Holy Spirit do that. But I want to give you some this morning. What does gathering together exactly look like? If we've established it's important, which I think Hebrews 10 establishes this for us, and the rest of Scripture as well. What does it look like? Is it this? Is it a Sunday morning gathering? Yes. (laughs) Frankly, yes. I think this is part of what it means to gather together. I think this is important. I think it's important to sit under biblical teaching. Not that I am some humongous, famous, 
well-educated pastor, if that's what you're looking for, you came to the wrong place this morning. But my prayer is very specific before I preach that whatever God's word resonates and says would be buried deep in your heart and mind. If my words are not helpful to that, that you would forget them. I will die one day if Christ does not return. And this will endure till Christ comes again and then into glory. So my prayer is that this would bury deep in you. We see in the early church, right, the church grows numerically, but also in maturity as his word is preached. It's preached, it's declared, it's taught. This is important for us. This matters. And so I wonder, how do we set ourselves up to come in in a Sunday morning gathering? Like, do we think about our Saturday night and staying up too late so that we're well-rested to come in? Right? Or is it like college, where you just crank out late at night and you're like, oh crap, I got class next morning, I better go to bed. And you stumble and bumble into class. Okay, at least that was my college experience, okay? I wonder if, we, if that's our posture we come in on a Sunday morning. It's just rhythm, it's routine, I'll come in, kind of pay my dues and leave. But we don't actually set ourselves up that we might grow in knowledge, understanding, wisdom of what God calls us to be. This is important for us. Just gathering together, it, does it look like coffee with a friend? Listening to what's going on in their lives and praying together? Yes, that's gathering together. It's not just this. It's, it's more than this. That's important. To have a tighter-knit relationship. When you gather together and someone can be brutally honest with you, the thing's going on, and your response is not, well, do these four steps and it'll fix all your problems. But your response is, I'm just going to pray for you right now. And I don't mean like I'm going to pray for you, like I will pray for you. Because if you're like me, that means you'll maybe do it once and forget about it after that. Right? But you're going to say, I'm going to pray for you right now. Can I, can I pray for you right now? Yes, that's gathering together. What about discussing what God is teaching you lately to a group or to an individual? Yes, that's gathering together. Like, I don't know what you do with a Sunday morning message. I don't know if you think about it. I don't know if you talk about it with other people, but you should. And I don't say that again because my words are great because you took the time to come here. And if you believe this is God's holy word, that it does matter, then you should wrestle with this. And so many of us are external processors to, to work it out in conversation. Yes, that's gathering together. That is good in a group even. It's a good thing. Does gathering together mean to intentionally carve out time to be around other followers of Christ? Yes, yes, yes. Look, gathering together includes Sunday morning. It's good to come together with other believers and worship the Lord together through song, to celebrate his goodness together. Right? We're, we're gathering today, church, to celebrate what God has already been doing in our lives since last time we were together. Like That is how I think our posture should be when we come in. If we're trying to grow in maturity in Christ, that means every day we're, we're thinking about Jesus. Every day we're trying to grow in understanding. And so we're coming in on a, on a weekly gathering, and we're excited to be together because Christ has been working in our lives and through our lives since last time we were together. 
This is getting out of this rhythmic fashion of steroid shots. Like, come in, get your Jesus steroid, and go back out into the dark world. Listen, you're not so fabulous. So don't think that you're somehow a greatest gift to God's earth when you walk outside these doors. You might be changed by the gospel, and your identity might be different than those around you, but you're still only saved by God's mercy and his grace alone. So get yourself off the pedestal that you put yourself up on. I'm talking to myself right now. It's a mirror in front of me. And remember, man, that, that's an opportunity to walk into a glorious creation that declares God's goodness. All that can, listen, it can, that posture, that heart, that mind can come out of gathering together with God's people. And that should excite you. It should excite you to walk out. Excited to see what God's going to do until next week you come together. And hopefully in between those times, you're talking to other believers about what he's doing. And you're praying for each other. Listen, we have to fight to live out the philosophy that it's important for people of God to be together. But we also have to make sure that we don't hold Sunday morning up to be the only thing that's holy and righteous. Because it's good for us to be together. Not just this morning, but all other times. Right, look, this again, I'm hoping you're hearing me very clearly. I'm going to keep saying it. This is important, but it is not the end all and be all. The early church observed in Acts, right? They worship corporately together. We see it's described in Acts as Luke tells us about it. But we also have, right, we observe Paul playing churches, setting up elders to lead those local contexts. Okay, so now we're seeing local gospel community is important. That's in the rest of the New Testament. It's walked all the way out. He did that so that the word would be taught, that God's word would live and breathe through his people. Right. But what else do we see in Acts 2? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Look, those who directly walked with Jesus and then taught those people, who then taught those people, who then taught those people, they worshiped together in the temple and they ate meals together in those homes. You know what they didn't say? Have a great week. You know what that implies? See you next week. They didn't say that. They probably said, hey, what time's dinner tomorrow? Do you, do you need anything? Can I help with that? Because why do I think they asked that? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. That's not going to happen if you don't care about the person. And you're not going to care about the person if you don't spend time with them. And probably greatest of all, you're not going to care unless you're changed by the gospel. See, gathering together, it has deep roots that impact us. As Hebrews reminds us, it, it helps prevent backsliding. It prevents walking away from Christ. It promotes and f- encourages fellowship. Gathering together, Right? Promotes a love of Christ that naturally then flows into people around us. 
that we grow together by sitting under God's teaching together, that we ask each other's questions and kind of flesh it out within our own lives. When we gather together, that's celebrating the Lord's Supper together. That's baptism. Right? What is baptism? It's a public declaration of your faith. We don't baptize in my bathroom, in the bathtub. Right? No, we baptize with, with the family with us. With the people of God gathered together. Gather together, we declare that. Gathering together demonstrates a changed heart. Listen, and here's, here's a caution, but you need to hear it, and I need to hear it. 1 John 3.14 says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. I read that and was actually pretty concerned. Um, Like, holy smokes. It's pretty clear. Whoever does not love abides in death. Well, whoever doesn't love what? That we love the brothers and, and sisters. That we love God's people. We gather and we have a heart for them. How do we have a heart for them? Because we gather together. And frankly... He's trying to say, if there's not a deep love for other followers of Jesus, it might be that you're not actually saved. Like, you need to hear the caution, and so don't I. Not that I might question my salvation, but I might call myself, if I claim to be a Christian, that that's supposed to be exemplified in my life. This happens through time. It happens through moments of joy, through moments of tears, through together having a greater understanding of what God is calling us to in the scriptures. If love like this does not abide, listen, there's two options according to 1 John 3. If love like that does not abide, then death reigns. There's not a nebulous, comfortable middle ground. If death does not reign, then love must be what abides in us. Listen, I'll finish with this. Gospel community is fully rooted in the gospel. Gathering in gospel community is fully rooted in the gospel. The hope that's found in Christ. It's individual lives pressing and pursuing Jesus that are coming together and life being spent together. Look, the people of God, they're they're meant to be together for growth, for fun, for learning, for joy, for comfort and sorrow and celebration and everything in between. Like, I hate, I hate that I, the church, the followers of Jesus have a reputation for, for being no fun. Like, it saddens me. Like, my greatest moments, my greatest times of joy, some of them, I can't say my greatest, some of my greatest times of joy, man, I went to, went to a Bible college, was around other people pursuing Jesus. My, my greatest times of just straight fun were dumb dorm times at like two in the morning with my college roommate who also loved Christ. Man, that, that's just, just my heart good. And I hate that there's just this stigma that believers in Christ are kind of just, just humdrum, 
just trying to survive this dark world we're in until Christ comes again or he calls us home. Like, where's that in the Bible? Man, if we're changed by Christ, then enjoy the life that he's given you all the more. Like, like love life all the more than those outside of Christ because you know that this is as glorious as the most beautiful sunset could possibly be, it will not touch how glorious heaven will be. So when your mind is blown by, by experience, like this newborn child experience, and it blows your mind and your life is changed in a moment, even that euphoric sense will not touch what it would be like to be in the presence of God the Father. So we can fully enjoy and embrace the good things of the world, but knowing that ultimately it's not going to be the end of it all. There's so much more to come. And that gets even more added to, I think, together. Like I'm way more fun on other people than just by myself. I mean, I laugh myself sometimes too, right? But I have way more fun around other people. Some of my greatest joys are my kids, right? Spending time with them. You want to know why? Because they say and do the stupidest things that make me laugh, right? And not stupid as in like idiotic, but just funny. And that brings joy. It's good to be around other people. See, the corporate experience of worship, like for us, Sunday morning specifically, it's a big part of it. Like we, we recognize when you're not here, just so you know. People might say, oh, I'm not going to go this morning. That, that actually has a, a, a domino effect. And yes, we're small, I may notice, but any church has that. You're missed when you're not here. Know that. And it could be that for some of us, this is just merely tradition. We kind of just come in, do our thing, go home, and live isolated throughout the rest of the week. Look, the reality is you can choose to live like that. That's the option you have. But it is not, I don't believe, what Christ calls us to. Gospel community is rooted in gathering together, intentionally spending time together with Christ at the center. Does that mean that every conversation then has to like, talk about Jesus? No. You talk about your sad sports teams, and we'll talk about the Patriots. That's fine, right? You, you talk about your things, we'll talk about ours, <laughs> all right? right? But there better be moments when, 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 when a situation arises that we say, man, I, I want to pray about that. That's, now, I want to hear what, what God's doing in your life. It can't just all be fluff. There has to be substance in the gospel community. Look, dear friends, I, I beg you, Gather together. Get coffee. Have people into your home. Laugh together. Experience life together. Talk about the things that God is doing in your life. How is he stretching you? How is he challenging you? Look, don't be a lone wolf. Like, I don't care how savage a lone wolf is. You don't live in the wilderness. You don't. If you are in Christ, you're part of the flock. Like, so be part of the flock because you matter. And you matter enough to be around other people for the glory of God 
and for your good. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would just um, completely do with this what you want to do with it. Because there's some convicting things that I think uh, gathering together has to, to work into our lives that we have to wrestle with. Scott, I pray that you would help us to do the proper wrestling. That we might see how important it is to gather together as your people. In your name. Amen.